In today's Revival podcast, we're looking at the place that prophecy and encounter vision play in what God does. And I'm thrilled to be joined by Rick Call, who's part of our All Nations Movement senior team, and explore some of the encounters that God has given to him. Welcome to the Revival Podcast. I am absolutely delighted today to be joined by Rick. Rick Hall, he's, I mean, he's lots of things to me. He's been a, a very, very close friend of mine for many years. We grew up as teenagers together, served the Lord together through all our years in Christian Warriors. He's married to my sister. He's been on staff here in the past. He's, he's still part of our teams, but doesn't get a salary. We now make him work for free. So we're very close. We've journeyed together for a lot of years. Rick, thank you so much for being on this podcast with me today. It's such an honor and a privilege to be here and to call you a friend um, and just be on this journey to see God do something across this nation and the nations of the world. So thank you yeah, for inviting absolutely. me to be here. Yeah, so there's a reason behind Rick being here with me today, apart from just us being good friends. Uh, about two years ago, Rick had a series of accounts. It might even be three years ago now. 2018. 2018. Uh, I, we, he's had a series of things happen. I'll give you a bit of context to it and then lead into what's going to help us in the revival uh, conversation today. Uh, I think it was in April time in 2018. Rick was in bed. It was in the early hours of the morning. And a short story would be that the Lord walked into his room I told him to go on a 40-day fast, which he went into. And during that 40 days, uh, it wasn't known ahead of time, but Rick had a series of encounters. And so I'll pause there for a moment and just say, none of these encounters would shape our theology or be contrary to scripture. We hold scripture as our way of hearing what God is saying, uh, the major and primary revelation comes from the scriptures. We hold them in very high regard. And yet, as I read through the book of Acts, as I read through church history, uh, whether it's a vision, a dream, an encounter, an angelic visitation, these phenomena seem to surround the way that God has spoken to his people and the church. And I'm realizing in the days in which we're alive, these things are increasing. Uh, for many of you listening, this would be normal and you don't need this explanation. For some who are listening, you're like, encounter, Jesus appeared, God spoke. Uh, and I would say, yes, and he's doing that. But for us, it's not on the same level as the canon of scripture. I am not saying that. But I do know that God speaks in, in ways outside of scripture, but not extra to scripture in terms of the canon of scripture. So that's as a way of explanation. I would also say, Paul said in his epistles, uh, when he had an encounter, he said, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body. And I'm aware of sometimes when I listen to Rick share some of these stories, uh, I want to ask him more questions. Uh, were you physically there? Was it a dream? Was it an encounter? And sometimes he'll say to me, it wasn't a dream. I was awake when it happened. But as to whether my body left the, the room or whether I was, uh, it was, a, it was a spiritually I was in that space, I don't know. 
And so I say there's a lot of questions we still have, just like the Apostle Paul had. Uh, but for me, the meaning behind what God is saying, the message is really important and it's helping us to understand some of what God is leading us into in the days in which we're alive. And I think these encounters are, for us at least as a family, church family, all nations movement, a way of shaping some of our outworking of what God is calling us to do. It's provided urgency. It's increased our wanting to go back to scripture to re-examine certain things. So that's all by way of introduction. So Rick, uh, we're going to do, I think, two encounters today, and then I'll get Rick to share one. We'll have a conversation around it. We may go into a second one, and we'll have a conversation around that as well, if that's okay. So over to you to share the very first one, and uh, just yeah, and then we'll have a conversation around that. Um, yeah, I, I, first I'd like to say, I just think the timings of these revival podcasts are in God's timing. Just being prayerful about coming here today and recording with you, just the urgency of getting the message out to the wider church family, the importance of preparing and getting ready for revival for such a time as this, yeah. I think it's so significant. And, and I think it bears saying for three years, these have not been shared publicly because we didn't know what to do with them. We sat on them and we've just waited. Now we are putting it into a book format. We're recording some of these because we just felt the Lord saying, now's the time. Yeah, so the, maybe the encounter that I'll touch on um, with you today, um, I'm, I've just been going through the, the, uh, uh, the Gospels again, uh, reading through the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus calling us to become salt and light in the world that we're living in. Um, and then Matthew chapter 9, where the disciples come to Jesus and Jesus responds to the disciples and he says, pray and ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And I believe that there's a real wake up call, a real ask for the church of Jesus Christ to be Christian in this day and in this time. And so that leads me on to the encounter that I had um, in the previous encounter, the night before I'd been given a horse and I'm on this horse and we've got up and down this nation. Now I've got blood all over my legs and on the body of the horse. I'm now in this encounter and we're in this open and field. Just to pause there, the blood symbolic in the previous encounter, which we're not going to touch today, about the blood of Jesus being spread across the UK. I, I believe it speaks of the salvation of people, of the harvest coming in, of the love of God for uh, the, the people in the United Kingdom and beyond. Yeah, so I enter into this field. I notice as I enter into the field, there's other horses in the field and there's also riders and their teams tending to their horse and to themselves. I look, I'm a, I'm a little bit confused because I'm thinking to myself, well, where's my team? I'm looking at these, the horse and its rider and their teams and they look beautiful. I mean, Steve, their manes are patted, um, plaited with gold and silver. Some have got robes on them or, or throws on them and that have got diamonds and rubies and precious stones. I look at the riders and they're dressed like emperors. They look so beautiful. And I look at myself and I remember in that encounter, I start crying. I start crying because I look and I'm comparing myself to other 
riders and other horses and how they're beautifully dressed. The teams are preparing these horses and the horse riders with these precious stones and these jewels and uh, robes and clothes. And, and I'm like, what about me? Why can't I look like them? Why haven't I got a team like them? And then at that, I begin to come off my horse because I want to take the blood from the previous encounter that you just shared there briefly. I start wiping down my legs. I start wiping down the body of the horse, trying frantically to get the blood stains off myself and off the horse. And then I hear in the distance a voice so stern, so direct, that says to me, Rick, get back onto your horse. Get back onto your horse. Who told you to come off your horse? I look and I realize it's Jesus. At that, I get back onto my horse and I'm almost saying to myself, I'm only just taking the blood off. I'm only trying to do what others are doing. He's not having a go at them. So why would, and I'm, all of this is going on in my mind. I'll pause you there for a minute. I, I would say in terms of interpretation, um, horses can represent movements, ministries, even destiny, any kind of vehicle that'll get you from one place to the other, often in a dream or an encounter. Uh, horses in particular can be movements. So bearing that in mind uh, as you're listening to this. Yeah, so I get back onto the horse. I'm a little bit upset, if I'm honest, that Jesus would speak to me so sternly and let others continue to do what they're doing. And all of that's playing in my mind as I still continue to watch their teams preparing the horse and the rider. And the teams are slapping high fives to one another. There's joyous celebration. And all I can do, Steve, sitting on my horse is cry. Cry at the sheer embarrassment of the condition of my horse and of myself. I wanted to be so desperately wanted to look like the rest. But I didn't have the go from Jesus to do that. And then there was an announcement on a tannoy system that said, come and register horse and rider. And I'm looking around again and I'm thinking, is that for me? Is that for others? I do then see the other team start preparing, smiles on their face, celebration as they make their way to a registration table to start registering for what then unfolds in the encounter to be almost like a big tent, uh, like a, a theater space, an outdoor uh, amphitheater space. Um, and they start lining up as they're registering to go into this big tent theater space. Um, everybody's now registered. And obviously I'm the only one now left in this field that hasn't registered. One of the officials come over and say, are you registering? Almost in jest, knowing that I don't look like the rest. Um, and I was about to say no. And then they individual from nowhere appears, puts a bridle in the mouth of the horse and starts taking me towards a registration table and says, yes, 
we are registering. This individual had a sack, almost sackcloth outfit with a hood over his head. Um, and the official says, what's the name of your horse? Again, at that, I begin to cry. I haven't got a name. I don't know what to call my horse. I don't know what to call us now going to register. Anyway, he called, he, he brings us over and he says, um, they want to register the horse. And the officials again behind the registration table ask me, what is the name of your horse? And the only thing that I could say at that point was the horse with, with no name. Tears streaming down my face. Officials behind the table are in hysterics, in laughter, jesting and jeering as they're looking at me. And I'm I'm just ashamed, Steve. I can't, I don't know what other term that I can use other than I felt so insignificant in that moment in comparison to what I had already witnessed and what had already gone before me. They said, okay, just go and join the queue. I was the last horse and rider in line. And then the curtains pull back. There's a master of ceremonies that starts making an announcement. And as I look through the curtain, I can see thousands upon thousands of people in this tent. And the MC starts and the crowd start getting excited, start shouting, start screaming, start rejoicing, start clapping. As the MC starts calling the names of the horse and rider that are in line before me. The first horse that he calls is the horse Grace. And Grace starts making its way into the theatre space. The crowd start chanting, Grace, Grace, Grace. They go wild, electric. You can almost cut the atmosphere because it's so electric. That horse then goes off. The next horse to go through is the horse called Prosperity. And again, the crowd go wild. Some are now standing on their feet. Some are standing on their chairs, shouting Prosperity, Prosperity, Prosperity. That horse then goes off. The next four or five horses are the Apostle, the Prophet, the Evangelist the teacher, the pastor, and the same response by the crowd. It was almost like being at Crufts, not that I've ever been to Crufts, but it was like they'd been prepared to be paraded in front of a crowd, possibly to be judged and then taken off stage. The last horse, which was the pastor, goes and the crowd are still celebrating, reeling, as that horse leaves the theater. And then the MC says, we have one final horse. And I'm like, I don't want to go. I've seen what's just happened before my very eyes to those that were dressed so beautifully, wearing all of the fancy robes and the colors and the plaiting of the mane in gold and in silver and in precious stones and rubies. I don't want to go is what I'm feeling on the inside. And the MC then says without hesitation, the last horse is 
the horse with no name. And as he says it, he almost laughs as he says it. I'm then brought in by this individual who up until this point, I don't know who he is. As he walks in, the crowd become hostile. It was almost like it had changed. The coin had been flipped. The tables had been turned. It was like from rejoicing to almost anger, ridicule, shouting, almost hurling abuse. Get this guy out of here. You do not belong in this space, is what I was sensing. Just as they start screaming and shouting and hurling abuse, the man that was pulling me in takes off his hood. And the moment he takes off his hood, I realize it's the prophet Isaiah. Not that I've ever seen him before. I just knew in my spirit that this man was the prophet Isaiah. And he starts reciting Isaiah 53. And I'll read it to us if that's okay, Steve. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot. And like a shoot out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And he carried on reading and reciting the whole of Isaiah 53. All of the noise at that moment piled into insignificance as I heard the powerful voice of the prophet Isaiah. Then I saw in the crowd Bartimaeus, who's no longer blind, possibly one of my favorite men in the Bible. And Jesus, blind Bartimaeus, recognizes Jesus pulling the curtain of the entrance into the theater space. And blind Bartimaeus starts shouting to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy. He's crying, I'm crying, the prophet Isaiah's crying. I notice Jesus is sad with sorrow at the condition of what's just been happening before our very eyes. He starts crying, son of David, have mercy. Son of David, have mercy. The encounter ends with an eagle sitting at the top of the big tent and says, Rick, you need to change your perspective. If you live for the praise, and I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, for the praise of man, you will only do what they want you to do. You have to lift up your perspective to a higher perspective. Keep your eyes on Jesus and look from that perspective and what he wants in the days, weeks, months and years to come. And then that encounter ended. I, I've heard that a few times, so I'm, but every time I hear it, I'm massively challenged. I think oh, this may be obvious to a lot of people, but it's worth stating 
I do believe that those horses and people and ministries on the earth, I think the people in the crowds of the church, I think there's been a lot of comparison and a lot of games. I think we've raised ourselves up and we perform for one another to do outdo one another. And in the midst of it, reminded that when Jesus came, he came in obscurity to the least likely place, uh, to the least likely couple. Um, he didn't pick a major city to go to. He lived his life without ever traveling beyond the region he was in. Even though he came for the whole world, he lived in these small villages, traveled out sometimes to Jerusalem. I think there's a startling and serious challenge to the church in terms of as we get ready for the move of God that's coming, there's going to have to be a stripping away of our comparison within churches, within ministries, but also within individuals. I think it can, be, it can work in the micro, it can work in the macro. We've allowed a Western modern mindset to infiltrate our living and working for Jesus Christ. And so, I, I mean, that's what I'm drawing from it, Rick. And I know this podcast slightly different to others, that we share that, we lean into it a little bit. And if I was going to apply it, I mean, I'd ask you, Rick, as you come away from telling me about that again, what are your personal challenges in terms of what do you want to make sure that you're doing or not doing as we kind of uh, interpret what God's saying? I'm reminded of the words by the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. He said, I resolve to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. As a pastor of a local church, All Nations, um, in a, a region not too far from here in Wolverhampton, I have found myself in the trappings of using trinkets and gadgets and clever oratory skills, not that I'm that clever, to try and dress up a message so that somehow some may come and become followers of Jesus. I believe in this day, in this season, in this era, that God is stripping away everything so that he can be seen, he can become center stage. I do believe it's time for us to strip everything back and let the simplicity of the gospel and Jesus Christ become the very center and the core of who we are. So when I come out of even just sharing that this today with you, I have this strong sense, Rick, don't go back to what was, what has been, Step into the simplicity and the simple life that Jesus would want you to live. If Paul, being one of the greatest minds to have ever walked the planet, says, I resolve to know nothing else. In fact, everything else is rubbish in comparison to Jesus Christ. I think we have to come back to that. It's interesting how much we've dressed up our Christianity uh, whether it's how we promote ourselves on social media or our websites. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Um, I think if Paul was alive today, he'd use the tools and mechanisms that are available. But it can easily go from being a tool to actually being a showpiece and a game of comparison. And I think one of my um, 
personal challenges, sometimes it's a bit of a concern, a deep concern, I'm trying to say that politely, uh, is how much Jesus has been forgotten and, and whether it's a particular doctrine. And Rick mentioned a number there. You pick your doctrine, uh, deliverance, the supernatural, the apostolic, uh, the prophetic, um, grace or prosperity. It's easy to parade a revelation and we forget the one who gives the revelation. And I, I believe in the coming move of God and in our preparation towards it, that this restoration of Jesus in first place is absolutely paramount. In fact, there will not be a move of God without Jesus coming front and center. And he, I don't believe he'll come front and center until he strips away the trappings. We don't need Jesus and. Um, we need Jesus. And, and so, yeah, I, I do believe it's a wake-up call to the church. Uh, I think Isaiah the prophet declaring that Jesus grew up as a tender shoot. He had no beauty to attract us to him. And today we try and beautify everything. And uh, I look at Jesus' life. He was often offensive, disruptive, misunderstood, and he made no effort to try and beautify his message or make himself acceptable. He is the truth. He was the truth. He is the truth. He will be the truth. And so he is enough. And I, I think, I don't know, Rick, I'm just kind of wrestling. This is taking on a bit more serious than I thought it was going to go. But I, I sense the Lord saying that the church, especially in the West, but maybe beyond that, has to stop depending on all of the other crutches we've put in place and have restored to ourselves laying the foundation of Christ, um, knowing the person of Christ, committed to the work of Christ, uh, the teaching of Christ, the mission of Christ, that coming front and center. Yeah, I think, yeah. hands up as a church leader, I think we've pandered to the consumer culture that has crept into the church. And so we've wanted to make our worship sets appeasing to people. Yeah. We've wanted to make our sermon series to have catchy titles that so somehow we may gain more followers yeah. or people will hopefully come back next Sunday and give a little bit of money and fill a pew and then we can say that our figures were this this week. Yeah. I think all of that needs to be stripped away. Yeah. Unfortunately, that consumer culture has come into the church and I have found myself sadly falling into that same trapping. I didn't quite like the worship this week. I didn't quite like the message this week. Oh, it was a bit of cold in the building this week. When was it ever about me? Surely it has to be about Jesus Christ and the advancement of his kingdom, of his name, of his fame. I believe it's time for Jesus to become a banner again across our nation and the nations of the world. And we can't pander no longer to what people want the popularity, the messages that they want to hear, that their itching ears want to hear. We have to preach the undiluted good news gospel of Jesus Christ and let that do its work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, very, very good. I, some would have heard me say this already and it's been our challenge. The Lord saying the church has been too personality driven, too Sunday centered, um, too consumer oriented. And it's going to change. It can't stay like the way that it has been. And it is painful to be in a process of dismantling 
But I think the Lord is calling us back to the way that it should have been, that it way that it was in the original and saying, let that be restored. Do we still use technology? Will we still use social media? Uh, will we still have buildings? Absolutely, we'll use all of those things. But instead of elevating them to elevate ourselves, that they become tools as we listen to the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're not gonna cry to go back to some bygone era. What it really is, is saying that Jesus is enough. The work of the cross is still powerful. And if Jesus modeled it by picking the most unlikely place to be born, uh, the most unlikely place on the planet to be born in a stable, it doesn't make sense in all of our, you know, if you're going to launch a new platform, launch a new church, you want to do it like this and you want to do it like this. And, you, and the Lord is saying, can't you see how I did it? I picked the most unlikely. I came in the most unlikely way. And it's going to be the same when I move again. And I think every move of God has shown that. The Lord has picked those who were rejected. He chooses the lowly, the despised, the weak, the foolish, and then uses them for his glory. So whether you look at the Azusa revival, the Welsh revival, um, I mean, you take your pick in history. It is in the most unlikely places with the most unlikely people that God begins to move. I don't know of any that it's the most qualified, the ones with the most money, the most leadership expertise. It's always in the opposite way. So I would say the church has been focused on the wrong thing. Yeah. And if we can shift our focus towards the Lord, it will be painful. Yeah. It will be a little bit laborious. We're gonna have to undo much of what we've done but I believe it will lead to the greatest harvest, the greatest revival that we have ever seen. Yeah, I'm sure you've touched on it on other podcasts, Steve, but just Isaiah 43, 18, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. That Just that eagle thing in my dream, vision, encounter, whatever you want to call it. I think we have to change our perspective. Yeah. We have to change our perspective. And I don't know whether you want to talk into that a little bit. I think perspective changes as we come up higher, That's right. the eagle, uh, often eagles in, in dreams and stuff stand for the prophetic. They also speak that we are to go up into a higher realm. It's Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. So it is living from a whole new vantage point. It could be higher in terms of we have a heavenly perspective. It could be an eternal perspective is a part of that. Yeah. We're not living for the here and now. Who cares if everybody around me thinks I'm doing great and the Lord doesn't? His judgments are true. He's the final amen. He's the faithful witness. He's the judge at the end of the day. Everything he says goes. Uh, I'm going to draw this to a close. We're actually not going to get to the second encounter. We'll record another program for that. But I want to leave you with a challenge today. And the challenge really is to say to you, would you seriously examine what you're building, what you're a part of. Are you living it in the light of eternity? Is Jesus at the center of it? Is there a comparison game that needs to be dealt with? I encourage us to turn our hearts towards the Lord and allow him to dismantle what needs to be dismantled and to take us to a higher place. Yeah, thanks so much, Rick, for being with me today. Thank you, thank you so much. Such a privilege to be here, thank you. I would normally ask, how can people connect with you? 
but Rick's not on any social media. <laughs> and uh, it, your best way of connecting with him is to connect with us as a movement. He's part of our team and with us here. So he's not on Instagram, he's not on Facebook, and he's not on Twitter. And so I would say you're connecting with us as a movement and, and do watch this space. We will be releasing uh, the, all of the encounters in a book uh, very, very soon. And uh, we'll let you know when that's happening. I've produced an e-course called Revival Ready. It's videos and workbook to help you in your journey towards revival and preparation for it. You can find more information about it at steveuppalk.com.